Boy, it's, it's happened last service too. It's tough to start out a sermon emotional and in tears. It's, a, it's like, how are you supposed to end it? But uh, here I am. This is, as, uh, as we say, you've heard my dad, our senior pastor say this before, this is payday where, you know, you work hard to serve people, love people, and you don't always know what's going on beneath the surface and if God's working. And then you hear the stories and you see he's working and you can kind of see the fruit of that. It's just, it takes your breath away. So I'm going to let you guys in on a little family drama in our house um, that's uh, still kind of tender and recent. And I trust you. I, I wouldn't share this with the Appleton crowd. I don't know them. I know you guys. I can see your faces. I know where you live. I live in this area, so I'm much safer here. Uh, it's funny, though. Um, my dad, if you know him, he's Italian. He likes to, I mean, even if you don't know him, you probably know that because he tells everybody. <laughs> and... Uh, it's a great rich heritage, a great rich tradition in our house. I'm going to point this fan at you guys. Wouldn't that be nice? Is that better? How's that? Um, every family event uh, tradition we have is somehow influenced by our Italianness. Uh, it's great. We love it. Um, but as a kid, when we would meet other Italians, it was this kind of little mini reunion. If you're Italian, you know. You're like, oh, you're Italian. And then immediately you're family, right? You don't even know the people. And especially in Wisconsin, where there's not a lot of Italians, it's a big deal. Everybody's, you know, when you meet an Italian in Wisconsin, you're like double the population of Italians in Wisconsin. And so, so every time we met an Italian, you'd ask, where are you from? What part of Italy? So we'd share what part of Italy we're from. Now, every time, this is how this, every single time a person would share their destination in Italy, if it happened to be that they were from the island of Sicily, it would just be a little bit different. And this happened without fail 100% of the time. After the conversation, this is how it would go. We'd be walking back to the house or going somewhere. I'd be like, Dad, they're Italian, just like us. They're Italian. And if they're from Sicily, this is what he would say. They're Sicilian. That was it. <laughs> like, what does that mean? But every single time somebody would introduce themselves as from Sicily, at some point later that night, my dad would be sitting on the couch or something. He says, you know, that guy we met, he's Sicilian. That was it. Don't really know what that means. But that's what he would say until three years ago. Three years ago, we're sitting at the dinner table, having dinner with my grandma, my dad's dad. And she's telling stories about her childhood. She's telling stories about where she grew up and how they came to, came to uh, America during World War II by way of France. And at some point in this particular conversation, three years ago, she tells the destination, the city, which we hail from in Italy. Sicily. My dad is like in his 60s and he finds out his whole life has been a lie. He's from Sicily. He's Sicilian. My dad is Sicilian. You hear, heard it here first, but if you could, don't say anything until after he transitions his job to me. If you could just keep it here until after January of next year or something. Uh, he's Sicilian, and so I'm not sure he's made peace with it. I don't know. If you want to find out, just ask him what part of Italy he's from this week. Just ask him. See what he says. I don't know what he's going to say. I really don't. We haven't even talked about it since then. In fact, when it happened, he like coughed up an internal organ, and, and then he didn't talk to us the rest of the night. But it was, an, it was a shocking moment for him his whole life, right? Whole life, he thought he knew who he was. 
Well, today's topic on baptism, for some of you, not all of you, but for some of you, it might be a Sicilian moment. You, th- you know, baptism in the church family, in the Christian world, has so many um, different perspectives and traditions around it that people grow up with. And this message today, which is gonna come entirely from the text, the Bible, it's not gonna be from what Brian thinks about baptism, it's not gonna be about what traditions uh, are about, uh, we, we practice on baptism, it's not about what, how we do it here at Alliance, it's just what the Bible teaches on baptism. And for some of you, it's gonna kinda come out of left field. You're gonna be thinking, my whole life I've been a Christian and I didn't know this, or I didn't understand this particular implication of baptism. And for some of you, you might have a bit of an existential moment. But I wanna encourage you, everything we're gonna talk about is not only from the Bible, but I also wanna tell you this. You're not a second-class churchgoer if it's a pretty big deal what you hear today. And I'll tell you why, because baptism is not a small doctrine. It's not a small piece of the New Testament. It's not a small piece of what it means to be a Christian. This particular doctrine is a big deal. In fact, here's how big a deal it is. These are the last recorded words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. You think Jesus is saying farewell to his disciples. He ain't coming back for thousands of years. You think what he's about to tell them is pretty significant, right? Well, look what it includes. This is it, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus tells his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And what else? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he concludes, teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Baptism's a big deal. That's the last verse in in the book of Matthew. It's a pretty big deal. So let's go back to what what is at its root? Where does it come from? What are some of the... Uh, foundations of where baptism comes from in the Bible. It actually kind of has its inspiration in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, the first half of the Bible, really, God's people was the Jews. It was, it was the Israelites. He chose the Jews. That's who Jesus, Jesus is Jewish. He comes out of that lineage. And he has his Jews liberated from Egypt. And they've got all their Egyptian baggage where they worship Egyptian gods. They've got Egyptian customs. They've got Egyptian perspectives on the world and even who, you know, what creation's all about. And so God has to hit the reset button. And he knows that people are kind of thick. We got to, in order for us to get it, we got to like practice regular disciplines or things that help us understand the way we are supposed to live. Um, These are disciplines and practices that he gives us people. And one of the disciplines that he gives his people to do. One of the practices is he says, listen, before you go barging into the temple to worship me, before you go barging in there, you gotta purify yourself. You gotta kinda wash, ceremonially wash yourself with some water, wash yourself. And it's not because God cares about the hygiene of his people. It's not because he wants his temple to not smell like body odor or anything like that. It's not, it's not why he's doing it. It's a symbol. It's to teach. Everything God does has purpose in it. God doesn't waste time. So it has purpose, and he's trying to teach his people something about himself that is extremely important, and it's all good. Here's what it is. God is trying to teach his people, I'm pure. I'm holy. I am perfect. I am clean. And this is really important, because it's good news, right? Some of you know like the gods of like the Greek gods, Athena and Zeus. What, what are they? they have issues, right? They get insecurities, they're petty, right? They got problems. How much of good news is it that the maker and the creator of all this stuff, the, the most powerful being that we, could con- that we could even comprehend, how much good news is it that he's a good guy? 
He's perfect. He's pure. He's holy. He doesn't have issues. That's good news. And that's what God's trying to teach his people. Second thing he's trying to teach him is this, is you're not. There's brokenness. There's mess here in your life. And that's that's not, that's bad news, but it's also important and it's good for us to know that. Let me give you an example of what God's trying to do with that. He's trying to say, you're not like me. And here's one way that maybe we battle this. It's, it's Father's Day, right? And you think of the word father. Here's why there's so much weight sometimes is because God gives us a term, a, a title to call him. When Jesus is asked to pray and he begins with our father, Jesus asked by his disciples, how do we do this? How should we pray? And Jesus says, pray like this. And, he, and then he begins to pray and he uses the phrase, Father. He uses that. Basically, God in that moment is saying, call me dad. What should we call you, God? Call me dad. Here's the problem. It is so hard to not project your understanding of your earthly dad and what his character was like, who he is. It's so hard to not project that on God. I mean, that's why some of us, I mean, we don't even realize we're doing this. And, and so much of what growing in your faith is, when you read the Bible and follow Jesus, he's trying to decouple those things. He's trying to say, I am nothing like your earthly dad. Let me tell you, if you come up here right now and you kick me in the shins, guess what? I'm not gonna love you as much, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna know I probably should, but I just won't, okay? But God, God is nothing like me. God is nothing like you. God is nothing like us. He's nothing like our earthly dad. He is so much more pure, holy, loving, righteous, and good than, than we can ever even imagine. And God is trying to teach his people that. He can't just bust into my presence. There's a gap between us, between my holiness and yours. And that's good news, but it is hard news. Baptism is a, is a, is a ceremony, is a, is a symbol of a washing and a cleaning that has to get done. But let me tell you what also it is. Before we get there, this is what also baptism is. Baptism, the way Jesus uses it, is a commandment. It's a commandment. Here's what that means. Baptism being a commandment means it is not a recommendation, it's not a suggestion, it's not an opportunity. For some of you, this is good news and it's hard news, right? Same, it's the same thing with everything really, it's good and hard. It, it means you don't gotta pray about it. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to like, God, do you, do you want this for me? You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to wonder if you need to do it. And you don't have to know when the right time is. When's the right time to obey God? Like as soon as you can. You should do it as soon as you can. Now, is this the most important commandment that Jesus talks about? Is baptism the most important commandment? Actually, Jesus answers that question. He tells you it's not. In fact, he answers it a couple chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 22, six chapters earlier. This is what Jesus says about the most important commandment. One religious law expert guy tried to trap him and he asked him, teacher, which is the most important commandment? And this is what Jesus says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the next part, he says, all of the commandments, all of the law hang on those two. So we know that baptism points that it's about love. It's about loving God, but it's not the most important commandment, but it is a commandment. And here's what you need to know about commandments. Commandments are never empty. They're not meaningless. They're not hollow, they're not pointless. 
There is something inside of us that changes and that happens and that God does, not us, when we obey. Here's what you need to know about commandments. Commandments is something that God wants for you because he needs nothing from you. This is really important. Can we have time for some theology today? I know it's warm in here. I know that uh, we're celebrating the first day of summer by we trapped all the heat in here from last week for you um, <laughs> to do it. So, but can we hang in here? Here's some theology. In Theology 101, this is what your professor is going to teach you. He's going to teach you about an attribute of God called God's aseity. It's a fancy theological word you learned today. Aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y. Here's what it means. God is dependent on and God needs nothing. He's fine without anything else but himself, his triune self. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're good. They don't need you. They don't need me. They don't need this. They don't need it. But they love you and they want to give you life. It's who they are. They're generous. They want to give. They want to create. They're creative. But they don't need you. And that is so important when you understand what the, what the Bible teaches on every commandment, any commandment. God doesn't need you to obey it. He's not up there wringing his hands this week hoping Brian obeys 50% more of his commands this week. He doesn't, he doesn't need me to obey. He's not petty. He doesn't need worship. He's not insecure. He doesn't need some people to honor him. He's fine. The reason he tells you to do it is because he wants something for you. He wants something for you because he loves you. That's what commandments are for. They're for you. There's something in you that God wants to do. And here's the reality. There's two things in commandments that God wants for you. I'll go through the first one. First one is blessing. Blessing is always across the border from obedience 100% of the time. Why? Because God wants what's best for you because God is best, God is perfect, God is good, and he wants your best. God does not want second best for you. So everything on the other side of the border of obedience is not best for you. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not comfortable. I'm not saying it's not easier. I'm not saying it doesn't feel good. I'm just saying it's not best. It's not best for you. It's not even, I mean, God doesn't want second best. There's never a decision you're gonna make to obey God where it will be second, be or second best. Blessing is always across the border. Now, here's the reality is, is God is a, is a good dad, and which means he loves you, but love and blessing are two different things, right? Look, I got, I got two kids, and if they do stuff in their life that is a self-inflicted wound, they are hurting themselves, they're doing something, guess what? I, I still love them. In fact, I love them so much, I'm not going to champion and cheerlead things in their life that are terrible for them, that are hurting them. I'm not going to, I mean, I know sometimes as a parent, it's really hard to know the difference between am I endorsing sin or am I just loving my kid? I know that. That's a different sermon for another day. But let me just give you this principle. Some of you in your life that feel far from God, let me tell you something. It might be because in a category of your life where you feel really far, you're doing something in your life that's killing you. That's sin that's eroding or filleting your insides. Let me tell you something. God's blessing may be that he's very seemingly distant from you. Why would God be all up and active in your life in an area of something that he doesn't want you to be in? He'd rather be over here. It's his blessing that he's, that he's staying over here. He loves you. 
look, look, don't, don't, don't equate love with the activity of God or your perception of it or any of those things. You don't know what he's up to. You don't know what he's doing. He loves you unconditionally all the time, but blessing's different. He's not gonna bless something that's gonna kill you. You might be doing something in your life right now that's killing you. He's not gonna be endorsing that and blessing that. There's always blessing across the border of obedient to obedience. It's never better to not obey God. But there's two ways you cannot obey. This is really important. First way is this. It's called a sin of commission. Here's what that means. God has told you not to do something and you did it anyway. Willfully, you knew it and you did it anyway. That's a sin of commission. That's committing, right? Commission, a sin. There's also a sin of omission where you omit. You don't do something that God has already told you to do. God's already told you to do it. Let me tell you something, baptism is a command. And if Jesus is your leader and you've given your life to him and from the moment you surrendered your life to him, whenever that happened, when, his eye, when he opened your eyes, you gave him your life, if you are rejecting or not obeying this commandment of baptism, that is a sin of omission. And it's not better for you. There's something, in every commandment, there's something God wants to do. And here's my advice to you today. Let it bother you. Let it bother you. If it's bothering you, if what I'm saying is kind of is poking at something, maybe it's not even about baptism. Maybe there's some other commandment that you know God has called you to do or be, and you're rejecting it, you're not doing it. Let it bother you. Let it bother you, because that right there is the second thing that obedience does in your life. There's always a death. First thing is there's always blessing across the border, but on the other side of the border, something's got to go. And I wish, guys, I wish it was just one thing. I wish for obedience it was just one thing. I'm, look, I'm not saying that God doesn't change you from the inside out and give you a thirst to follow him and do as well. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that obedience is always saying no to something. You can't say yes to God and not say no to something else. That's true of life. You never say yes to something without saying no to something else. And there's something in your life that God wants you to say no to, even in the commandment of baptism. There must be, what is it that you don't, is it your time? Is it your schedule? Is it your priorities? Is it the, uh, when you feel comfortable? Is it your comfort? What is it? I don't know what it is, but God's putting his finger on something. And, and something has to die because here's why. Something was there before God. God has to intervene in your life. God has to break in. You're not born a Christian. God has to open your eyes. God has to break in, which means there was something there in the first place. When you say yes to God, you gotta say no to the other God, which is me. John the Baptist, we're talking about baptism? I'm talking about baptism? See what John the Baptist says. He puts it really eloquently, he puts it like this. John the Baptist says this in John chapter three, John chapter three, it says he, meaning God, must become greater and greater. He didn't skip this though, I must become less. I must decrease. You can't do it any other way. Look at what baptism symbolizes, right? This is, baptism symbolizes all of the work that salvation does in our life, where salvation is a moment and then it works itself out our whole life where it's constantly killing our old self. Something's always going down under the water, down to die, down to be cleaned, down in a place where it needs to be put off, down all the time. 
we're not gonna do baptisms. We're gonna do baptisms in a couple, maybe a, a month or so, sometime this summer. We're not gonna be doing them up here and I'm not gonna have people get in the tub and stand there and wave and then climb out of the tub. That's not baptism. You have to go down. There's something that's gotta die. Because frankly, whatever it is that you're not gonna let Jesus kill, honestly, it's gonna kill you. Whatever it is, whatever idol you're worshiping at, whatever people's opinion of you, your reputation, your comfort, your rational ability to discern what's right for your life, whatever is your idol, whatever is your God, it will eventually kill you if it's not God. It's gotta die. Death always stings. It's always going under the water. It's gotta die. There's always blessing across the border. There's always something that has to die. But the ultimate death and the ultimate life is really what baptism points to. There was one death that covers all, all the things that have to go in our life, all the mess, all the sin, and then there is one life, and it happens to be illustrated beautifully in Jesus' baptism. This is where I wanna to end today. In Matthew chapter three, Jesus is baptized, and we see the, the, the conversation he has with his cousin, John the Baptist, around it. This is what John's up to at the time in Matthew three. In those days, John the Baptist came. He's preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Just a real quick clarification. It's when, when the only thing you can do when God shows up in your life. I mean, God's presence is everywhere all the time. But what I'm talking about is when he addresses you in a way that you know is him talking to you right there in that moment. And you can't help but want to repent and get, get rid of bad stuff in your life. That's what happens when God shows up. Every time the real God impacts you in a real way, you want to give up stuff in your life that's a mess. That's what happens. Best way I can describe it is when uh, sometimes you watch a movie and then your kids get old and you're like, oh, we should show them that one movie. And then you show them the movie and all of a sudden you're like, I don't remember that word. <laughs> yeah, I think they must have added that since that scene, since the last time I watched it. You know why? It's their presence has changed the way you experience that thing. When you watch that movie just on yourself or with your date or whatever years ago, you didn't hear that word. It didn't seem as loud, it, that scene. You don't remember it being that, that racy. All of a sudden your kids are watching. Now it's like, it's so much louder when they say that word, you know? This is their presence has changed the way you interact with what your environment is. The same is true with God. When the kingdom of heaven draws near, when God shows up, you're like, hey, everything has got to go. There's so much mess in my life. He just reveals the reality of the mess in your life. That's what happens. That's why you're going you're to repent whether you like it or not when the kingdom of heaven draws near in your life. That's what John's doing. But this is what happens next. Jesus shows up came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, said, I need to be baptized by you, but you, do you come to me? He's basically saying, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to be where you are. You need to be where I am. I can't, I'm not gonna put you under, this is a symbol of there's dirt, there's filth, there's all this mess and we gotta clean it, we gotta wash off, we gotta get rid of it. I'm the one that's dirty, I have to, no, 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 I need to go, I need to be under the water. And this is what Jesus says, Jesus says this, I'm gonna swap you. This is the way he says it. Let it be so right now. This is really important. He's saying, I'm not saying forever, but he's saying right now in my lifetime, I'm doing something different right now. This will not be forever, but this will be right now what I'm doing in my ministry. Right now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. That's kind of cryptic, isn't it? This is what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is saying, listen, right now, I'm, God's about to do something new, unprecedented, and it's only gonna happen once and it'll be for all time. But I'm going to let you put me on the cross, he's saying. I'm gonna let my creation put me, kill me on the cross, bring death, bring destruction, destroy me, put me under the wrath of God. I'm gonna allow that to happen right now, once and for all, because you and I are gonna switch places. You see, I came from heaven. I'm gonna come down here and die so that you can take my spot up there. And so what happens next is Jesus is baptized. John relents, John does it. And what happens next is a passage of scripture I never want you to read the same way. After today, never read this passage of scripture the same. Circle it. I want you to know something. Because of the cross, because of what Jesus did on the cross, this passage of scripture is for you personally. You see, Jesus went on that cross and he cried out with his fleeting last breaths. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what God said back? Nothing. He was silent. Why? because God turned his back on his own son. Why? Because Jesus took your sin and my sin and we deserved that moment and Jesus did it for us. And so God turns his back and he's silent. But for you, God's speaking to you. If you're in Christ, these are your words. These are the words that God has for you. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said, you, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased, in whom I love. Those are for you. Jesus swapped you in. He took the silence of God, the forsakenness of God, so that you could hear the roar of heaven's love. Because when God looks at you, he didn't see you. He sees the payment and the punishment and the wrath that Jesus took and he sees all that covering your life. And so he looks at you with love. That word love in that passage is also translated delight. It means when it's love, love is, we only have one word for love. In Greek and Hebrew, there's multiple words for love. We can love pizza, the Packers, and my wife, right? Because we don't have one word. That word is like, I delight. I get so much affection and delight in you. My dad puts it like this. When you're, if you work at an office and you've got a window on your door, right? And somebody comes and knocks on your door and looks in the window, you have an emotional reaction the moment you see that face, don't you? And for some people, it's, oh, God. come on in right? You know, when you see that person, they knock on your door at your house and you're like, <sighs> or you just see other people and you're like, oh, hey, come on in, come on in. When God sees your face in his window, every single time, it is delight. It doesn't matter what you did, it doesn't matter what you're doing. When God looks at you, if you've given your life to Christ and you trust in what Jesus did in his baptism of just death and destruction on the cross, if you trust in that, every time God looks at you, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I delight, and I am so well pleased. 
He loves you because he sees the love. I mean, can you imagine the affection that Jesus and the Father had? I mean, imagine the millennia, the eons of, of centuries and eternity past, the amount of affection they have for each other. All of that white hot delight and affection is for you because when God looks at you, he sees his son. Can I ask you a question? Who told you you had to be perfect to come to God? Who, who told you that? That you had to be perfect, that you had to figure it all out before you come to God? I believe this. In this room, there are people right now who are choosing to not rest with peace that their destiny is set in heaven. They're choosing to not allow themselves to receive the peace and the rest and the love of God because they think there's still some things they gotta work out before they're worthy of it. There's still some things they gotta figure out. There's still maybe even a giant Goliath sin in their past Something that happened that is so big and so ugly that they, every time they think about it, they're like, until I can resolve this or pay this off or deal with this, I can't rest at night thinking that my eternal destiny in heaven is set. I can't have peace yet because this is not resolved. Let me tell you something. You won't be able to resolve it without coming to the cross first. You won't be able to deal with it until you receive the peace and the grace of Christ and what he did on that cross for you. Because let me tell you something, at some level, at some level, I know it's gonna sound hard to hear, I know it's gonna sound hard to hear. Holding back on receiving the full weight of the gospel of peace and eternal salvation, eternal, eternal peace in your salvation, at some level, you know what that is? That's blasphemy. And let me tell you why. It's the pride of thinking it ain't enough for me. My sin's too big. Humble yourself today. Your sin ain't that big. It ain't big enough to cover what it'd be bigger than what Jesus did on the cross. It ain't big enough to make it unavailable for you to have peace and knowing that when you leave those doors today, you never have to worry about your eternal destiny. It ain't that big. Your sin ain't that big. Humble yourself. Jesus paid for it. It's covered. Settle the matter today. Settle it right now. Jesus already did. You just, you just gotta receive it. Would you honor the bigness of God by choosing to walk out of here with a smile on your face, a lightness in your step, and a lightness in your heart, spitting in Satan's eye like you ain't gotta worry about it anymore. Would you honor his bigness this morning by doing that? Maybe that's the Father's Day gift. You can give your heavenly Father today. It's just enjoy life knowing the matter is settled. Like I'm a dad and my kids this weekend were not morally perfect. My wife is holding back a really loud amen right now because it was a weekend. I just want you to think for a second though. Let's think about a good dad real quick. This is a lot I'm ending with right here. If you could string together a morally perfect week, let, let me just say this, from this day on, if you could be morally perfect, okay? You, you're ne you are, you've got it all worked out. You're never gonna sin again from this moment on. Let me just ask you, you're a, you're a parent, right? If your kids were morally perfect, would that be the, the highest satisfaction and joy you would take in them? Would that be like, would you, are you like, I don't really love them until they're perfect? What, what parent feels that way? You can feel that way. Listen, I, as soon as the service ends, my kids are gonna come busting through that door and they're not, they don't know how bad this sermon was, right? They don't care. And they're gonna come run up and they're just gonna hug me in the leg. That's what they're gonna do. And they're gonna wrap their arms around me and love me. And let me tell you something, that is all your heavenly father wants to do. 
Yeah, do I want my kids to make good decisions? Yeah, because I want good things for them. But you know what? Who of us have kids that make all kinds of decisions? They make all good ones, but they don't talk to us. We don't have a relationship with them. And they don't run through the door and give us a big hug. And that's all we want, right? That's all we want. That's your heavenly dad. Just go out these doors, run up and put your arms around his leg today and just love him. Give him a Father's Day gift for once. Every day, just wrap your arms around him and love him. He doesn't care about your performance because he's already covered it. He cares about it so much that he paid for it with his own blood and his own son. So you don't gotta, he doesn't want you to worry about that. He doesn't want that to keep you from running through the doors and hugging his leg. That's what the gospel is. It's not to become morally better. It's to be able to wrap your arms around the living God and know he knows your name and loves you and wants to be with you. Even his purpose for you, even even the calling he has for you. You're not his employee. He has a calling for you because he wants to bless you with one and then it's gonna help you grow in his relationship with you because he just loves you. So, baptism. (laughs) With a God like that who loves you, gave everything for you, he's asking you to be obedient. Go public with that. Tell people that story. And by the way, you may not realize this, but it's not about you. Your story, just like we just heard, might begin to change the story of someone else in the room. Do not disobey. Step into the commandment. Say yes to God in any category of your life. There's blessing across the border. Let's pray. Jesus, you've spoken to us directly. You made an appointment with us this morning. You got up in our face. We're so thankful, Lord. It's not comfortable. Sometimes it's confronting, but Lord, we are drawn to your love. We just wanna, we're, we just wanna run into your arms today, Lord. And I pray that every commandment, whatever it is, whether it's baptism or something else, we all got stuff in our life that we're either omitting to do or committing. Lord, I just pray that our desire to stop doing those things would come from a draw and a gravity of your love. No other gravity, no shame, no guilt. Nobody pushing us to just be better and try harder. Our eternal destiny is set. Help us to just just be liberated by your love this morning. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand for closing benediction. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice, you, we, Hortonville Alliance, may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And church said amen. Amen. See you next week. Thank you. Happy Father's Day.